Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John. We'll be in the second chapter. We're going to take a look at verses 2 through 11. So again, this is Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 2 through 11. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding and with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. (coughs) My friends, I want to, if I may, Take you back to the spring of 1993. I was 18 years old. I was driving on US 52 South coming back from Mount Pilot. It was a sunny morning. It was clear skies. My mind, as it sometimes does on long, straight drives on a highway with hardly any cars around me, started to drift a little bit. I was about two months away from graduating high school. I had already been accepted to Carolina. We had a few important baseball games coming up as we tried to make the state playoffs. My buddies and I were in the busy process of planning a beach trip to take after graduation. Life was good and the future was bright. As I was driving, I happened to look in my rearview mirror and saw the unmistakable silver and black of the North Carolina Highway Patrol. Not unusual after all because I was on a highway. No calls for real concern. I'm a good driver. No worries. About that time I passed a speed limit sign. I looked at it. It said 55. So I looked down at my speedometer. And it said 85. (laughs) Now my first reaction was, well, maybe, maybe he hasn't noticed 
And so, I kid you not, I put on my blinker and I change lanes, just hoping that maybe he's just going to keep on going. Well, he also put on his blinker. <laughs> the one that is blue and sits on top of his car. And we made our way to the shoulder of the road. So I got out my insurance, I got my license out of my wallet, I rolled down the window, he came to the side of the car, and he asked me, son, did you not see that sign? I said, yes, sir, I saw it. He said, well, why didn't you act like it? Meaning what? Why didn't you do what it said? Why did you not react to the message the sign conveyed? After all, the sign itself is not the point, is it? It's our reaction to the sign. It's our response to the sign. We can be able to recognize a white rectangle with black letters and black numbers all day long, but if we don't respond to it accordingly with our behavior, then we put ourselves and those around us in danger. This morning, friends, we are faced with a text that asks us, how do we respond to the signs that Jesus gives us? Not in just recognizing the sign, but in our behavior to the sign. Because our reading this morning makes it clear how Jesus turning water into wine was more than just a miracle. It was a sign. It signified something. And as a sign, it invites us to respond accordingly. John 2.11 says it was a sign and how to respond when it says, and his disciples believed in him. Believing in Jesus is the appropriate response to seeing this or any sign, but what do we do with that belief in regards to our behavior? We see it elsewhere throughout John's gospel. After turning water into wine, Jesus then heads into the temple cleanses it and promises to raise a new one. And the scene concludes with John saying, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And the very next verse says this, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. And this same theme of signs runs all the way to the end of John when it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I mean, that is why we encounter signs throughout Scripture, to tell us who Jesus is. And this first one at Cana is really no different. Now understand that wedding feasts at this time lasted for a few days, sometimes up to a week or more. And it was a huge social faux pas to run out of anything at the feast, particularly wine. And we can assume that this wedding must have been folks who were related to or very close to Mary because why else would she be so concerned about them running out? And so Mary turns to Jesus, asks him for help. And while it may seem like he's reluctant at first, he turns to the servants and tells them, hey, take these six stone jars used for purification and fill them with water. I always find it interesting that the only people Jesus speaks to at this wedding is Mary and the servants. But after doing what Jesus asks, filling these six stone jars to the brim, they draw water out and give it to the master of the feast. The master of the feast tastes it, 
compliments the bridegroom, and all is right with the banquet. And we read at the end that after this sign, the disciples believed in him. Why? Because this sign, like all the signs in John, answered the question, who is Jesus? And just who is Jesus? My study Bible says this sign answers the question this way. Jesus is the Lord of glory who calls us to believe in him and to put our trust in him. That's what this sign says to us this morning. If we accept this story as it is told, then we should believe. And then so believing, then how should we act? How should we respond? I think by looking at the servants. They were obedient to Jesus' command. And yes, I realize that they were servants, so they didn't really have a choice. But you and I, we do have a choice, don't we? You and I have a choice whether to obey Jesus' commands or not, both the vertical and the horizontal. By way of refresher, what's the vertical commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's the horizontal commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not too hard, right? That's easy, isn't it? I mean, that's as easy as filling a stone jar with water, isn't it? But let's think about what these servants actually were asked to do. Because there wasn't a faucet in the kitchen. There wasn't a garden hose out back. The only way to fill these jars was to take them to the edge of town to a well. And it's important for us to know that these jars went empty, probably weighed close to 200 pounds. Empty. And they got to tote these six 200-pound jars somewhere outside of town to a well. And then once they get to the well, they got to lower a bucket and fill that bucket with water and pull it back up and pour a bucket full into the jar. Lowering, filling, pulling up and pouring. Lowering, filling, pulling up and pouring. We're told each jar held around 30 gallons of water, which that adds another 250 pounds to that jar. And so once filled up, now they got to take these six jars, each one weighing 450 pounds, back to the wedding feast. Nobody seems to have an exact calculation of how long it took, but some Bible historians have estimated it may have taken them several hours to make their way to the well, fill the jars, and then get these jars back to the wedding feast before the evening was over. Now put yourself in their sandals. This is a tough, exhausting job, isn't it? And the monotony of filling these jars probably wasn't a whole lot of fun. I'm sure their arms got tired and the legs got tired and they're ready to be done, but they kept on going. They didn't stop until the jars were filled <clears throat> to the brim. Faith can be like that, can it? We hear Jesus' commands in our minds. We don't see it as that tough of a task. Yeah, sure, I can love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah, I can love my neighbor as I love myself. But what happens when the task becomes difficult? What happens when we run into obstacles or roadblocks? What happens when obedience isn't as fun as it first was? How did these servants do it? Here's how. Long obedience in the same direction. Friedrich Nietzsche once wrote, The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same 
direction. And what's odd is that Nietzsche was an atheist and a critic of Christianity. But because all things can be used to the glory of God, pastor, theologian, author Eugene Peterson took this same quote and he wrote a book using it as his title because he felt that Nietzsche was pretty accurate and I think he was too. The response of the servants to Jesus' commands and our response to the signs given to us that Jesus is Lord is the same. Long obedience in the same direction. Because friends, you and I on this journey of faith we are taking can either be tourists or we can be pilgrims. We can be tourists or we can be pilgrims. Peterson writes this in his book. He says, religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion plan their lives around special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. We'll try anything until something else comes along. How many of us respond to Jesus as a tourist? All about it when times are good, when things are shiny and new, ready to proclaim Jesus as king, until it's time for us to head off to the next thing. Dropping in and staying for a bit and then sliding out. I mean, how many Christian books have you started, gotten a couple chapters in, and then went on to something else? How many have started daily devotions and were hard and heavy at it for the first couple of weeks and then kind of tapered off? How many have made it a point to want to be more involved in the church as a volunteer and yet just haven't been able to find the time yet? How many have been interested in a community outreach program and thought to themselves, I need to check into that, and then didn't? Friends, there are plenty of tourists in Canaan. How many would have stayed had the wine actually run out? But pilgrims? Pilgrims practice long obedience in the same direction. Peterson defines pilgrims as people who spend their lives going to God and whose path for getting there is the way Jesus Christ. Pilgrims stay in it for the journey. Pilgrims practice constant effort. Pilgrims know this world is not my home and set out for the Father's house. Pilgrims know to keep their eyes ever on Jesus, the perfecter of the faith. Pilgrims push on in the midst of difficulty, times of trial, or moments of peril because they know they don't walk the road alone. They are joined on the journey by the presence of Jesus, by the support of fellow pilgrims along the way. And as an aside, I hope that's the kind of culture that we have here. Yes, each of us is on our own journey with Jesus, but I hope that each and every one of you knows that you have a family here to support you, to lean on, to seek help from. I don't want any of you to ever think that you're in this alone. If you need help, if you need encouragement, if you need prayer, if you just need a space to come and jump up and down and hoot and holler for a bit, no, my door is always literally and figuratively open. As are the doors of many folks sitting in this sanctuary this morning and watching us online. But again, think about the servants. 
plural. Not one trying to obey Jesus' command by themselves, but part of a group supporting one another. And note how their obedience brought to them a blessing. They were the only ones who knew where the wine came from. They saw firsthand, experienced with their own eyes, the power of Jesus. And I have no idea how they responded to seeing this sign, but I do know that each of us has a choice as to how we respond. So this morning, what do you do with this sign? Do you believe it? How do you respond to it? Here's a response I want to offer to you this morning. In the Bible, Psalms 120 through 134 are called the Songs of Ascent. These 15 songs were sung by Hebrew pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem to the great worship festivals. Jerusalem was topographically and geographically the highest city. So they ascended literally but also figuratively because through these psalms they represent us acting out a life lived upward towards God. These psalms represent who we are and where we are going as a people. So what if you and I over these next 15 days read and reread and prayed over and read again these same psalms? What if tonight we started with Psalm 120? And then each and every day from this point forward read a different one until we got to Psalm 134. Because if we do that and read these 15 psalms, here's what you'll find. You'll find repentance, providence, worship, service, help, security, joy, work, happiness, perseverance, hope, humility, obedience, community, and blessing. Who in here can't use a little bit more of that in their lives right now? And one last thing before I close it up here. Notice what vessels Jesus used for his sign. Use stone jars. Now back in those days you could have used clay pots, but clay pots got broken real easy. So it saved you some money if you just simply used stone jars because it lasted a while. But what that also meant is that over time these pots would start to show some wear and tear. They start to show some cracks. They start to show some chips. They get a little bit dirty. And yet Jesus, instead of using cups or jars or bowls of gold or silver, things shiny and new, chose to use what was ordinary. Chose to use what wasn't perfect. Friends, in a culture focused on production and progress that highlights the strongest, wealthiest, most beautiful, and the smartest, it feels like ordinary and imperfect folks like me and probably you will never measure up or attain what is expected or be able to climb whatever ladder we're supposed to. And this even exists in Christian culture where the picture of Christian life that we see online or on social media is one that is highly fashionable, pure bliss, full of growth, rainbows, sunshine, and unicorns. But this picture is not reality, is it? The Christian journey is one that requires perseverance, some stick to and I understand the normal rhythms and emotions and struggles and doubts of life. We all have them. But God also understands. Please know that God sees you right where you are with all your cracks and chips and dings and doubts and issues and problems. And he chooses to sit with you and be with you. And today, friends, please know that God is giving you permission 
Permission is given not to try to attain salvation for yourself, but for God to attain salvation for you. Permission is given not to build up your own security, but to allow God to be a safe place for you to hide, ready to help when you need him. Permission is given to not focus on your own work and effort, but on God's work to be at the center of your life. Permission is given to deny the American myth of no suffering and have hope in the midst of it. Because God knows the meaning and the conclusion. Permission is given for us to not to have to search for God, but to know that God is ever-present and with you always. A long obedience in the same direction, friends. It is livable, it is real, and it is good news. And so, friends, if the sign given to us this morning is that Jesus is the Lord of glory who calls us to believe in him and to put our trust in him, how do we respond? As a tourist or as a pilgrim? Dropping in and out when it is convenient or easy or practicing a long obedience in the same direction? My friends, how do you respond? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.